Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. It is Wednesday, the 11th of May. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christophe. Thank you so much for being with us. On the program this week, I'm going to be featuring another interview within my ongoing series looking at the organizing within the context of Amazon Corporation. What are workers doing in terms of efforts to form unions? What are workplace conditions? And looking really at this historic moment in terms of a corporation that has grown exponentially in the context of the pandemic, but is also redefining the context of work and the context of labor struggle uh, today, not just in Canada and the United States, but globally. This is a logistics corporation and in many cases employs thousands of people at distribution centers, both here now in Canada, but also in the US. These are huge sites of struggle uh, where many workers have been pushing to form unions. And uh, of course, the context within these distribution centers and logistics hubs of Amazon, we see um, huge numbers of racialized workers, uh, immigrant workers uh, who are on these front lines of modern contemporary capitalism. This interview series looks at these realities and this program today, you'll hear a conversation I had with Mustafa Hanawi, who's an academic and author, and also organizer at the Immigrant Workers Center here in Montreal, uh, who really breaks down some of the systemic issues as to why Amazon organizing in terms of workers organizing within the context of Amazon warehouses is really important to not just focus on and understand, but also to support um, tangibly uh, the modern front line of the labor movement. Here's my conversation with Mustafa. It's not just a question about Amazon. What Amazon is representative of is sort of a broader shift in capitalism in the global north, right? And if you, uh, and sort of this shift towards uh, power not going to those who produce goods in our society, but those who simply circulate goods, meaning logistics, right? So, mm-hmm. if you and and even Walmart, you know, you can think of Walmart. Walmart is not uh, doesn't make anything. Walmart doesn't make anything that it sells. Walmart mm-hmm. simply sources it from the global south and then distributes them. So even in a way, in the business world, Walmart's considered a logistics company. It's not mm-hmm. considered a retailer. And so when you look at corporations like Amazon, like Walmart, uh, and if you look even around that is you have this titanic shift within within capitalism, right? Like that the major employers now and if you look at the private employers globally, they're corporations that are involved in logistics and distribution, right? Mm -hmm. So the largest employers in the U.S. are Walmart soon to be the largest private employer in the U.S. is Amazon. Then you have FedEx, U, uh, UPS. These, these are extremely large employers. So uh, logistics becomes this kind of important node uh, in terms of, of the transformation of work, right? And so in multiple ways. So the, the first... Just, just, just so we can underline this point, because I feel like you're going to another really important point. So thinking about like logistics 
focus corporations in the transformation of of what we understand to be work. A lot of people still think about labor, just even the term of labor or unions, and they picture like some like factory in the eighteen hundreds or yeah, so so just to understand that like I appreciate what you're saying and to just sort of our conceptualization of what labor means today. Well, I mean this is I mean this is part of it, right? So you can you can go to you know, we think about labor today as being less important right or for a period that you know we you know that there's sort of this kool-aid that we were all free we're all gig workers we're all in the service sector we're Mm -hmm. all doing uh white collar work we're all um you know we're all entrepreneurs right and that's actually not the case or that labor became fragmented right you people are working in in you know on main street sort of like in the mall or in the stores right and and but what logistics has shown is is it's reconcentration of labor there is the new factory right so if you look at um and it's hidden i mean that's the big part of it right it happens on the outskirts of our cities it happens in these large scale logistics hubs but uh the factory hasn't disappeared the factory has become a warehouse right and so uh, you know, you look at Amazon at Staten Island, it employed something like 8,000 people. That's the size of a large-scale auto plant, right? Um, so you have this concentration, not just of labor inside these particular warehouses, but in the sector, you have this massive concentration of labor, right? So in Montreal, 100,000 people work in logistics. Um it's a massive number of people, right? And so in the U.S., it's estimated that, you know, over 4 million people work in the logistics and warehousing sector, right? And so the question of labor and the question of work, uh, I think, has come back around where a lot of people now are, are, are grueling in these warehouses that are, you know, they're working at unprecedented speeds, you know, moving boxes, at really high rates, you know, 400 items per hour. Uh, people are, are low paid and much of this work is being done by immigrants, racialized workers. And I mean, so the, it's a, a hidden workforce. So you have this, on one hand, where people think that labor isn't important or unions aren't important, but you have this growing segment of society where the question of, of work and and, and upholding their rights through organizing is becoming more and more critical right and so um you know and and, and to go back to this idea of of you know how we think about how we think about labor and how we think about uh, uh, uh unions i mean it goes to a deeper point in terms of a strategic question of how do we how do we go forward in terms of a left right and and there was a great article that looked at logistics hubs, you know, in, in the late 2000s and, and was that, you know, these people might just be in warehouses for Frito-Lay or Nike, but these people are at the heart of global capitalism, right? And so that's the whole point is that these people, these people meaning the workers. warehouse workers are at these choke points of, choke points meaning. like that there's this focal point yeah. uh, in global capitalism, right? Like, because the strategic calculation before for was that if working people stop production, then capitalists aren't able to make a profit, right? And 
Uh, and it was one of the strategic weapons that, you know, the progressive left and the labor movement had. And, and, and if you don't make things anymore, what's the strategic leverage that we have when we stop work? And it's actually the circulation of all of those goods. And we see it not through strikes, but we saw it through uh, the global supply chain crisis, right? You see it through... Uh, when ships were being held off, you know, the shores of Los Angeles or New Jersey uh, that couldn't dock because there wasn't enough port workers, right? Or there wasn't enough truckers. So uh, seeing how important, because it's not just about the movement of goods, but it's about this just-in-time movement of goods, right? And so, which follows sort of this just-in-time production model that underpins global capitalism. Just-in-time meaning... Just rapid, right? That there's, uh, if you can order something off of Amazon and get it the next day, right? So for a lot of these firms, uh, the ability to bring in goods from the global south, particularly China, within, you know, six weeks, four weeks, three weeks time is is unprecedented in terms of the rapidity, right? And so, um, yeah. and so they're not ordering for goods now for a whole year. Because the whole point of you make profit is not by overstocking or understocking. Mm. And so you're selling just the amount of goods that you will sell. And so you're ordering them in real time because of technology. So once that stops, the shelves are empty. And so that's massive power to workers in that chain, right? And when we think about what does that mean when we think about precarious work, when we're thinking about gross inequality, when we're thinking about uh, the power imbalances in our society, uh, uh, that these people aren't powerless, right? And not just to change their work conditions, but all fundamentally... Warehouse workers. Warehouse workers, vision workers, but all of society, right? They have the power uh, to stop the Elon Musk's or the Jeff Bezos's of the world, right? Where... Um, people are living destitute conditions where states are being underfunded on purpose by corporations uh, hiding their money and I mean and, and, and also them being representative of a system that doesn't actually work for the majority of people right and so um, and it's creating a model it's not just only benefiting from this model of neoliberalism right it's also recreating it so if you look at Amazon specifically in terms of labor and the transformation of labor Amazon has the highest turnover rate in the world. It has 150% annually. So statistics in the U.S. point, if, if there's 150% turnover rate, that means one out of 30 Americans either have worked or worked for Amazon. And so here's a corporation that takes massive amounts of government money, that takes all of the support, then at the same time... Um, uh, produces jobs where they specifically know that people won't stay longer than a year. So why should we value a corporation like this? Sorry, just, just to underline the one small point, which yeah. I think a lot of people probably don't know, when you said that a company like Amazon takes a lot of government public funds, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, just, just highlight that, because I, I think people might not be aware of this. So, I mean, Amazon, because Amazon bills itself as a tech company, right? And even though it's a logistics company. And Amazon, um, I, since 2012, set up its public policy department, 
uh, and it also has an equivalent in Canada where it actually hires um, ex-policy officials, government officials, essentially lobby governments at the local regional level um, to get tax subsidies on hiring workers, uh, to get subsidies on land. And so Amazon as a company uh, rarely ever pays tax. And it's always had a strategy to lower its tax bill. I mean, some years it gets a refund, right? So um, uh, one of the things that Amazon did specifically in its early days would set up its warehouses in states that don't have a sales tax. And so because it's an internet company, um, let's say you buy it from a state where there's a 7% sales tax. But you don't pay that 7% sales tax because you bought it from the internet. And you bought it from a warehouse in Kentucky that doesn't have a sales tax. So Amazon evaded sales taxes for the longest time until it had Amazon Prime and needed a larger infrastructure. One of the things that it constantly does, I mean, one of the things that, you know, it actually saves money. You know, one of the things that Amazon prides itself on is that we're reinvesting our profits always. We're reinvesting new technologies, new warehouses. And, and, and simply what it does is it buys up other companies. But because it's reinvesting its profits, it doesn't actually pay taxes. And in fact, we'll get at some points a rebate for investing its profits into, into capital investment, right? Into fixed capital investment. So when, every time that it buys a warehouse, it's considered a new investment, right? And so it'll get more money from the state. So uh, because it's because it's, it's expanding, right? So it's creating jobs and it's benefiting the economy. It's not just hoarding the cash. And so uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's a yeah, it's a virtuous it's, it's it's a virtuous cycle for Amazon, right? And so the and so Amazon a lot of times, I mean, it does the things that other corporations do, right? It hides money, offshores, all of these things, um, but it fundamentally and then and it uses its size to bully governments into into subsidizing you know what we saw in new york you know they were demanding billions of dollars from new york right for its hq2 right you know and so uh it bullies now companies and countries because what amazon is smart about it understands the world around it right that it that it's like you're desperate for good jobs. You're desperate for investment at the local level, right? You've been decimated by globalization. There are no jobs. There are no factories. We'll set up shop in your in your town, and we'll create jobs. We'll recreate the economy. But in fact, uh, what Amazon does is push out other jobs and 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 other things because people just end up working in these low-paid, bad jobs. Um, other businesses go out, you know, so it, there's rarely this sort of this big net benefit from Amazon setting shop in a local, in a local setting, right? Um, just, just one other, like, larger point that I think might be interesting to address for people who listen to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, like, focus in the last few years within, like, sort of networks, social networks and political activist networks of people who, you know, would be uh, supportive of, you know, the idea of challenging labor conditions within Amazon or like the fact that a lot of racialized uh, workers are employed at Amazon. 
would be to like talk about the sort of identity aspects of Amazon. I think like we're in this moment, it seems, where the sort of woke era is very precarious in the sense that one way of looking at everything that's happened, if we talk about Black Lives Matter, if we talk about like racial justice movements, could be to see these sort of symbolic gestures that big co corporations are making towards representation. But it just feels like where is the ground in terms of thinking about those larger structural systemic inequalities and racism uh, in regards to like corporate practice, right? So like, like so just to think about like Biden's America right or like Trudeau's Canada like the fact that you can have this woke rhetoric from like the highest levels of power but this total support for a corporation that in a lot of ways depends on a racialized workforce no no, no. I mean Amazon is like rep totally representative I mean it even even uses that rhetoric right like Amazon creates affinity groups or black empowerment network and 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 like and and but most of the workforce is black brown latino immigrant you know and and talking about you know over a million people you know and where the ceos and the tech workers are clearly are white and they benefit from this sort of this the racialization of work and 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 being able to access this cheap labor that's because it's cheap because it is racialized right and that's the whole point and and then and it's not about you know and i think what's interesting when you see alu and when you see the organizing it's not about it's not about having uh, a few extra executives at amazon being diverse which amazon sort of touts uh, that's not going to cut it. Equality means like real power for those at the bottom, right? And so, and that's what makes the organizing in, in New York so important, right? It's like they're in the lead of it. Uh, so it's challenging even the labor movement and racism in the labor movement, but it's also challenging the way that we even think about racism, right? It's like it's, it's about having black and brown people having the power to organize, having the power to make demands and to make uh, and to hold to account people like Jeff Bezos, right? It's not uh, usurping, it's not, you know, sort of begging and touting and being like, oh, you know, can some of us get to, to tier five or uh, a better diversity program? That's not what they're demanding, right? They're demanding real wage increases, real... Um, cuts to productivity, real measures around um, uh, promotions and the way work is organized, that would, and I think, and so in a way, you know, when we can view those struggles, not just as like labor struggles, but those are very much anti-racist struggles too, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the fact that you know, so much of what, you know, what they've done at ALU is just challenge the labor movement, like, in terms of its, the, the Amazon Labor Union, how, challenge its, like, the culture of unions, the the whole, um, uh, the way unions sort of speak and address things, and 
and even the the backlash even by Amazon was sort of racist to the core I mean it was you know that you know these workers were handing out marijuana when they were doing flyering you know like there's sort of this criminality aspect to it and you're like which was clearly just like playing into racial stereotypes so that was one of the things that Amazon was on set after the vote in, in JFK 8 and so um you know, and Amazon constantly uses this surveillance to control and discipline workers uh, and issues of rampant theft. It's one of the largest employers of, like, black workers in the U.S. But then there's automatic fear of, quote-unquote, theft. Right? And so, uh, and using really high-tech surveillance. So it's... Within the workplace. Within the workplace. So you, you, you reproduce sort of these dynamics. You reproduce the precarity and then so uh and so it's 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 baked into the model like it's baked into amazon's model right and it's because it's baked into the broader model right and so you can't um by going along with sort of biden or jeff bezos approach to diversity or um you know and 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 anti-racism and that sort of that liberal critique does nothing for the million people at the bottom and Amazon's workforce does nothing to resolve that conflict does nothing to resolve those tensions right but uh, the actual organizing like from the grassroots to challenge uh, power is the only way into like as as both an anti-racist struggle and as a labor struggle right and those intersections are really powerful and that's what i think happened at you know staten island you know and a lot of those people are even involved in 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 black lives matter right there was even um i don't think just for people who might not know what happened at staten island oh i mean staten island is 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 uh there was the grassroots organizing initiative that started two years ago by a group of fired workers, or one individual fired worker, but not alone, Chris Smalls, who held a walkout in 2020 over health and safety issues regarding COVID. And Amazon. At Amazon and inside uh, a super uh, fulfillment center called JFK off of, you know, in Staten Island, which employs 8,000 workers. And afterwards, they decided to form an independent union called the Amazon Labor Union and they had a historic vote where they had won uh, in the election the first ever union of an Amazon facility in North America so it's extremely historic one because it wasn't just that they won in North America the first one in North America they were an independent union led by workers and former workers uh, they were extremely public they did everything that the union movement didn't want to do and, that's, and I think that was the, the magic to why they were able to actually succeed, right? And, and so... Like, just in terms of, they were, they were at the warehouses, handing out food, talking with people, playing music. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a daily event. They were literally tabling every day for two, for, you know, for over 10 months. Outside the warehouse. Outside the warehouse in a bus stop, uh, you know, flyering people, handing out fried rice, empanadas, uh, talking with workers confronting work you know management inside during these sort of anti-union meetings uh you know handing out t-shirts they were just very public they treated like an electoral campaign 
right? And so um, it was extremely strategic for a group of people who were not part of the traditional labor movement, right? And uh, they did what other unions couldn't do. And so that, and it was just sort of the tenacity of doing it every day, literally every day at the bus stop, you know, and systematically organizing on the inside, but those two worked together, right? So, I mean, that, you know, in a nutshell, is like what happened at, at JFK. I mean, Amazon is still fighting it, but they can't, and this is part of the, Amazon's problem, right, which gives workers more powers. That you can't shut down warehouses. You can't move a warehouse to China. The only thing Amazon can do is put it on a ship off of, off of, off of Jersey. But you can't move it to China. You can't move a warehouse to China. So it's not like even what they did with Walmart. You know, once there's a union, you shut down a Walmart. Because if you move it further away, how do you provide same-day delivery? Hmm. I mean, Amazon has come up with wacky ideas. Don't you know? They've patented a large hot air balloon warehouse that would send drones out to deliver goods, but. Until that happens, the warehouses aren't going anywhere. And that gives us incredible leverage, incredible power. And that's part of like the contradiction Amazon faces. You know, and that these you know, back to the anti racist thing, I mean it's just that 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 they're not all powerful, right? And that's part of the and that people do have power. They're 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 forced to be precarious, they're forced to be racialized. And but it's because they do have power. And people don't want these people to have power, right? And I think that 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 was broken with what happened at JFK. You know, when when was the last time you can con- conceive that in our labor movement on the radical left that one of the most important actors was an up and coming hip hop artist? from New York leading one of the most important organizing drives in modern history you know and that that breaks everything that and opens the door to a whole new context thanks Mustafa no I mean uh, thank you Uh, and I, I mean I think that like I mean, maybe like to end is that it's 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 clear that it's going to 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 spread, right? Like it's it, I think what we're going to see at Amazon is clearly going to spread, but it's a question of how do we begin to like, how do we relate to it? How do we support it? How do we help nurture it that it could actually, you know, we're seeing in the U.S. more, you know, with Starbucks now and other Amazons, but also think in our local context too. I think that's. That's really important because there's sort of this always this smugness about our context in Canada, right? And I think it's just as bad, it's just as precarious, and many of these large employers aren't unionized and even can be worse than Amazon, right? Like companies like Dollarama, like uh, other major distribution centers, you know, for like Sense or uh, the way agencies are used in Purolator and DHL and, and all of that. Uh, represents a new source of power for us, but it's a question of being attuned to that and thinking mm-hmm. that through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and being flexible 
and ways to, to create new forms of organizing, right? Which I think is a big lesson learned from what happened in New York. This was a conversation with Mustafa Hanawi uh, for the 109th edition of Free City Radio. Mustafa is involved with the Immigrant Workers Center and is also an author. He has a book coming out this year. Uh, look out for it through Fernwood Press. And thank you to Mustafa for joining this conversation and the program this week. Uh, we have a new episode every Wednesday. Uh, and uh, thank you for tuning in. You can find us at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. I'll go out with a piece of music from Black Star. Talk to you next week. Take care. This one is Let's go. Hot. Bismillah. Welcome to the Black Star. Joint pain, coin of the realm, both sides. Racks. Such powerful current could make tears touch the eyes. Facts. Grace for every morning, God opened up mine and thine. Alhamdulillah. We all on notice that any next moment could be the last time you stand on this side. So that son, you're killing them, but only the phony because the real don't die. On God, all good for all hoods and palaces, poised throughout triumph for challenges. Top ranked up, you conquer skank, and the balance don't break for any large or small bank balances. Parable of the talented, each generation, the wonders and the wealth of all nations. It's really jump change once you take into consideration the living revelation that no soul could escape from. So go on, let a sucker say something. Cause even when it's saying something, they ain't saying much. I refrain from a toss to just pray for them. Stay away from them. Roll through a rise, raise on them. Bang, shine a gamma bay on them. Should have lied, lied from Bedford's diver's son, the livest one. And King said, uh. And even when we die, we will not stay dead. And I said what it says, so there it is. The light is not afraid of the dark at all. That